know why I didn't see the pulpit. <laughs> it's so large. How could you miss it? Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I was here about a year ago, Palm Sunday. I'll never forget that. So, Alex invites me about once a year. So, so thank you for the opportunity to bring God's Word this morning. I'm going to be um, coming out of Acts, if you could turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to open us in prayer, and then I'm going to introduce our text, and then I'm going to read it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, and our God, and our King, we thank you for your great mercies. We thank you that you are a wonderful, magnificent, incredible, awesome, majestic, every word of compliment, every adjective, every good thing comes from you. And you work all things together for our good, for those who love Jesus, who are called according to his spirit. We thank you that we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret, we don't have to be anxious for anything. Because you are our Heavenly Father and you love us. You've got our back in situations that we don't understand. We just need to understand that you understand. And that's enough. So help us this morning, Lord, to hear your word and help us to apply it to our lives and change our lives. For the glory of Jesus, not so that people will think that we're cool or smart, but that people would look at us and say, where do you find your hope? Where do you find your joy? I want whatever you've got. So send us out even after we hear this word as witnesses in your word. Witnesses of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. So before I read uh, our scripture, which is going to come from Acts 4, um, I want to give a little background. And some of us, or maybe most of us, are already familiar with the story about Peter and John, who were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer to pray. And on their way, they come across a lame man who's been lame from birth, and he would lay before the gate to beg for alms. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms from them. And Peter says, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And the man gets up and walks. Forty years old, lame from birth. And the people are stirred with excitement. And they run to Peter and John thinking that, they're, that, that they must be angels or special in some kind of way. Peter quickly corrects them and tells them that it's from Jesus. 
and believing in Jesus Christ. But the ruling authorities do not appreciate Peter and John teaching in this name. And they throw Peter and John into jail. It's evening when they throw them in jail. And the next morning they release them and they bring them before this court and asking them how dare they heal in the name of Jesus. And they forbid them to continue to do this. And if you know, this is the same court that tried Jesus. So they threaten them with the possibility of killing them. But Peter and John push back and say, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to speak in this name, you decide. We can only speak what we know is true. And that's in Jesus' name and what he has done. See nothing they can do because the man's healed and they can't do anything, so they let him go. And that brings us to our scripture today from Acts 4.23. And it begins, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of the Lord. As I read this passage, I found some interesting things about it, some things that surprised me, quite frankly. The first surprising thing was found in verse 23 and 24. When, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, that's not the surprising part. The fact that you go to your friends when, when you've been threatened and you're in trouble is not that unusual. In fact, it, you would naturally go to your friends. And when they speak about friends, they were talking about the, the, the NIV said they went to their own people. They went to other believers and they gathered with them to tell them what had happened to them when they met before the council that threatened their lives. Now, to gather with your friends, not unusual. What I found unusual is what happens next in verse 24. When they heard it, when they heard the report and they heard the threat, they lifted their voices together to God. The first thing they do when they come together with their friends is that they pray. 
Now, I hate to say this, but when I hear bad news, when I'm threatened, when my life is under pressure and I gather with my friends, the first thing I do is not pray. The first thing I do is talk. The first thing I do is complain. First thing I do is whine about what's happening in ways that I can get out of it. I'm not as spiritual as you if you get together and the first thing you do is pray. See, I can fully understand if the text had said Peter and John went home and they prayed. Or even if the text had said, well, two of them got together and they decided to pray. But they got together with the saints. And the first thing they do is to break out in prayer. That is not natural. That is supernatural. And why is this? Because prayer is not natural. You know, we struggle to pray. I know you do. You don't have to admit it. It's why the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. It's why in Gethsemane, the disciples find it easier to sleep than to stay up with their master when he had begged them, asked them three times to pray with them. And why even the scriptures tells us in Romans 8.26 that we don't know how we ought to pray. It's why so many books are written on prayer. Prayer is hard because it requires humility. Have you ever gotten down on your knees to pray? It's a, it's a really kind of a humbling, humbling thing. I remember when the person who led me to Christ would, we would meet at the at the beginning. I, I, I rem, when he first approached me, and I didn't know anything about Christianity, and he would pray at the beginning. And I, I would, it was in this office, and I would kind of look under the door to make no, make sure that nobody else was looking. It was just kind of humiliating. It's hard to admit that you're weak and helpless and you need God. And this is especially hard if you're an American. Because we live in a culture of hard-working individuals. And we can do it. And we don't need God. But I've got news for you. There's only two kinds of people in this world. Weak people who know it and weak people who are in denial. So prayer is often our last resort. After we've tried everything we know to do, you know what we usually say? Well, I guess we can't do anything except pray. But when Peter and John gather with their friends, the first thing they do is to pray. What a wonderful example to us for what God would call us to do. Coming together, they would pray. It would have been okay for them to even pray individual, but they come together as a group. There's something about corporate prayer. There's something about us gathered together and affirming one another in our prayers, saying amen to one another in our prayers. So the first thing I find unusual is that they come together, and the first thing they do is that they pray. The second thing that I saw is, notice, is that not only did they pray, but what they prayed. They prayed for courage to continue to speak. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with all boldness. I found their request unusual, quite frankly. They don't pray to destroy their enemies, to destroy the authorities, 
They don't pray that God would um, take them away from their problem. They don't pray that they would be relocated into another city where they could have an easier assignment. They pray that they would be able to continue to have courage. And we need to realize that these are not super disciples. These are people who are afraid. And they're standing before the same council that had crucified their Lord. Yet they prayed for boldness to continue. Another thing I found unusual is how they prayed. Their prayer starts in verse 24 and ends in verse 30. Their prayer takes seven verses, 143 words. I counted them. But they spend five verses or over a hundred of those words talking about God. And only two verses with their petition. Before they bring their petition, they spend most of their time talking about God. I wonder who taught them to pray that way. Hmm. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus taught them to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ever get to a petition to give us our daily bread. The early church assembled are only doing what Jesus taught them to do. It's important for us to know to whom we are praying before we bring our petitions. It's important that we establish that we're in a relationship, that we're talking to a person. God is not a vending machine to which we make requests, to which he's obligated to give us things. God is a person to whom we speak. He is our Father. I've heard people say that prayer works. Well, prayer only works because God works. And he doesn't work for us. He works for his glory. Listen to how these early Christians prayed. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servants Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hands had predestined to take place. They begin their prayer by recognizing that God is sovereign. And the word used here is the Greek word despota, from which we get our word despot. Now, for us, it was negative. But for them, it was just a designation, meaning a master over a slave. You see, our Father is not only in heaven. He is our master. He is our king. He is the Holy One. But not only is he sovereign, he is the creator who made heaven and earth and everything in it. It is so important that when we pray that we realize how great and how big and how magnificent our God is. 
someone recently did a count and, and came to the conclusion that there were seven times 10 to the 18th power sins on the whole earth. That's a lot of sin. I mean, 10 with 18 zeros following it. I don't know who did the count. And I don't <laughs> Maybe it was an, probably an estimate. But do you realize that there's more stars than there are? Sins in the sea all over the earth? And our God created every bit of it. But not only that, but if you took all the stars and you compressed every single star and made it a, 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 an H2O molecule, do you know how much water that would contain? If you took all of us and compressed it, six drops of water. Our God creates the micro, the macro, everything, the hairs on your head are numbered. Our God is great. And when you're praying to a God this big, it does something to you. When you realize how big and magnificent God is, it puts your problems into perspective. You know, Job, Job was great. He was very spiritual. Blessed be who comes, you know, God gives and he takes away. But he spends most of the book of Job complaining about his plight. He realizes that he's been unjustly treated. And he demands his day in court. And he spends most of it in 37 chapters complaining until we get to chapter 38. And God comes along and he says, who is this? Sit down, brace yourself like a man and I'll speak. And God speaks to Job. And at the end of it, Job basically says, I spoke too soon. <laughs> Never mind. And he doesn't complain again. Our problems are put in perspective when we see how great and magnificent is our God, our Creator. But they continue to pray and they're, they're praying and they realize that God is in charge of history too. They're quoting from Psalm 2 when they say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And if you know the rest of Psalm 2, you know what God does. He basically laughs at our puny efforts to control things. These early believers realize that God is behind everything that takes place in history. And he is basically fulfilling Psalm 2. When he says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, what? to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. Predestination bother you? These early Christians didn't have a problem with it. They didn't have a problem with the reality that we are responsible, yet God predestines everything that takes place. How you put those together? I don't know. God puts them together. We go back to Exodus and we struggle with the fact that, 
that, that, that it reads that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then there's other places where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Who hardened? Was it God? Was it Pharaoh? The answer is yes. This is a mystery. But if God is big enough to create everything and sustain everything, if God is big enough to create all the grains of sand and all the stars and all the molecules, he is big enough to create a mystery that we don't understand. And if God predestined all things, including the most heinous crime in history, the crucifixion of his own son, then surely he can bring good out of our difficulties and our sufferings. Surely he can give us courage to continue in the face of people that don't like us, that may push against us. And so I've been, I was surprised by the fact that they gathered together and they immediately pray. I was surprised by what they prayed, that they would pr- pray to have courage to continue. I was surprised by how they prayed, that they spend most of their time talking about God. But my biggest surprise came in the fact that God answers them so quickly. Let's face it, our biggest problem with prayer is often that God does not seem to answer our prayers. Have you ever prayed for something and then months go by and then God answers it and you forgot you prayed about it in the first place? These Christians don't have that problem because their prayers are immediately answered. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I wonder how you would feel if you had a prayer meeting here and there was a little earthquake. Things started shaking. I wonder if you would say, well, that's God, or whether you would just run. (laughs) By shaking, God was showing them that he was bigger than their problem. He was shaking the place, and it was almost as if God was saying, I've got this. I've got these saints. Don't worry. It was so important for these early Christians to realize that God was bigger than their problem. But not only does he shake the place, he fills them with his spirit. And before we, you go Pentecostal on me, just realize that God fills us with his spirit. Not only do we have his spirit... When we are born again, and if you don't have the Spirit, you are not of Him. But we're called to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so God filled these Christians. And they went out and were able to speak with boldness. God answers them in a tangible way. Now I realize that God doesn't always answer this way. God answers our prayers in a multiplicity of ways. And I heard someone say that God answers us with the best answer that if we were him, we would have answered. Sometimes you don't give your children exactly what they want because you know it's not good for them. So God gives us exactly what we would have asked for if we had his wisdom. Sometimes he even says, No. 
like when the Apostle Paul asked three times that the thorn in the flesh would be taken from him, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. He's God. We're not. He is sovereign. We are not. He is almighty. We are not. He is in control. Peter and John could have been paralyzed by fear. They could have said, we're out of here. We've had enough. But instead, they gather together with friends and they pray. And God gives them boldness. Do you pray for boldness to continue in the work that he's called you to? Do you pray for courage to understand when you're feeling weak? Do you pray continually? You know, we've been commanded to pray. It's a command. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Jesus told his disciples to always pray and not lose heart. Christian counselor by the name of um, David Pollison asked the question, why do we pray? And he says, I suspect that you and I are probably alike and that your answer to the question of why we pray is the same as mine. He says, I need to. This question is like asking, why do you breathe? Well, somebody asked you the question, why do you breathe? You might say, well, I breathe because I'm supposed to. I breathe because it makes me feel better. I breathe because life works better when I do. I breathe, but it's just a habit that I happen to have. But you realize that when it comes to breathing, the deepest and simplest answer is that I need to breathe. And so the answer is the same with why do we pray? The reason we pray is that we need to. It's the door to life. And if we don't, we perish. If we don't, we're insane. Have you ever compared praying to breathing? Have you ever thought... That prayer is that important. We struggle with prayer because we don't realize that we're connected. That in him we live and move and have our being. That he is real. And so we need to pray as we struggle with prayer that God would teach us to pray. That we would understand the length and the breadth and the height and the width of the love of God in Christ. We need to pray that God would illuminate the story. That the story is real, that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And he, he created mankind. And that, and that, and that, that he put him in a garden. And, and, it, and there was just one restriction. Don't eat from the tree. But they decided they wanted to be free and they wanted to be like God and they ate from it and it was a fall and the fall had consequences there was a curse but the gospel was seen even there 
that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. That there would be an end. And then thousands of years later, he came in the person of Jesus Christ. And although he was crucified, God said he had no sin. And he raised him from the dead. And he took all that wonderful righteousness of, of, of him and he put it on us. And he took away our sin and it was laid on him. And this is a hard story. It's, it's, it's not fathomable. You can't, you, you can't understand this story without the Holy Spirit. The rational mind just can't grasp it until the Holy Spirit teaches us. And when it teaches us this story, we rejoice. And we go to him and we pray. And we pray. And it's a conversation. An ongoing conversation. I'm, I, I, am, I am discovering more and more how the trials of life just cause me to pray more. Even in something as little as getting here, going, instead of getting on, on I-24, getting on I-59, and it's raining. I don't like to drive. <laughs> it's raining. I get on I-59, and I'm going around this mountain, and I am in terror. And I'm saying, Lord, why did you do this to me? <laughs> I can almost, it's almost like, like I can hear him laugh, a lovable laugh of why, trust me, <laughs> I got this, not to worry. And as I do that more and more and more, I realize that he is a God who can be trusted. And that when we find our, ourselves, our back against the wall, that our immediate reflex reaction needs to be to pray. And we don't have to have a long, flowery prayer, just as simple as, Lord, help. Because even the Scriptures tell us that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us. And as we pray more, we will pray more. As we pray that our hearts be softened, our hearts are softened and we pray more. And it doesn't make us cool, spiritual people, but it puts us in relationship. The key is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. In the hot political climate of our times, I'm, I'm very disappointed that, that the church is in panic mode. I would love to see the church mobilized and to create pr times of prayer just to mobilize and to pray to our Heavenly Father. Why should we go to a fight with a BB gun when we have, we have an atom bomb? We have our Heavenly Father who controls the universe. And we're panicking, shaking when we have our Heavenly Father. So just want to encourage you to pray, to pray with others. It kind of keeps us honest when we have to verbalize our prayer and articulate our prayer. It keeps us honest. And we're often shy in a group. We're wondering what other people are thinking and Am I saying it right? And I'm not as educated as these other people. And that all goes away as we, as, we, as we practice more and more praying to our Heavenly Father. That is to Him that we're praying, not to each other. We're not trying to impress our neighbors or our, our friends. But we're going to our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be His name. His kingdom come. It will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us to pray. We, we're like little children. We're coming like little children. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but you do you, through your Spirit. And I pray that you would teach us, even today, how to come to you in difficulty when our back is against the wall and we don't know what to do. Teach us to come to you. I pray for this church, Lord, that they would be a beacon of light in Huntsville. That people would look to them astonished because they see a wonder and a difference uh, among them. I pray that they, that people would look and recognize that they have been with Jesus. And that comes as we pray to you. Not as a machine, but with in a relationship with a person, a person whom we adore, a, whom, a person who taught us to love by loving us, us first. Teach us even now how to pray that we would pray, that our knee-jerk reaction would be to pray with expectation that you will give us exactly what we need. Because you love us. Demonstrated by sending your son to die for us on the cross. I praise you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In the first and second chapter of Ephesians, Paul enumerates the great things that we have been given through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but he realizes that this is going to be an abstraction unless we get it, and so he, he offers this prayer that I want to pray before I give the benediction. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches you may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And now receive God's blessing. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Go in peace.